0: we start here in just a minute in Hebrews chapter 6, but we're going to start with a word of prayer because we need God's grace. So Rodney, would you please lead us? Attention in Hebrews, keep us from drifting. Very good. All right, well, last week in Chapter 5, the author kind of started a new section about Melchizedek, and then he said uh, his readers weren't able to track with him about Melchizedek and Christ because why? Why? Why can't he keep talking about that?
1: You need somebody to teach them, and they were drinking spiritual milk.
0: The, yeah, that is coming. That's that's an explanation of what's going on. So the the root problem is oh, they're dull what hearing. dullness of hearing, yeah,
2: sure.
0: which is not just a physical hearing problem. It's a heart problem. They're not responsive to God's word the way they need to be, and the evidence of that is what Hannah just started saying, that where they are spiritually compared to where they should be, they should be able to teach others, like teaching ABCs, (laughs) and they're still asking to go over the ABCs spiritually. And he says, that's not a good thing. You should be farther along than where you are. So what's the remedy... (coughs) For Arrested Spiritual Development So we're bumped into chapter 6 now The Remedy for Arrested Spiritual Development Early part of chapter 6 the first verse. Maturity. Okay, maturity is the goal, and, and how are we going to get there? Press on. Press on, which implies some effort, some perseverance, um, and just yesterday, uh, reminded again of, of David Mathis' illustration, it's not all about your work, your effort, your willpower, it's about tapping into the channels of grace. So, depending on God's grace, we press on. It's not just, you're tough enough to do this, get your act together. It's, by God's enabling grace, press on. And that's what we'll do if God permits. So, what are a couple of the main ways we do grow spiritually? We looked at several verses, and there were basically two main things that came out Bible. <laughs> no substitute. 1 Peter 2, right? As newborn babes, sincerely desire the milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So, we can't grow without the Bible. And then we saw Paul teaching and admonishing every man in order to present every man complete or mature in Christ. Teaching, what's he teaching? Teaching the word. <laughs> Not just teaching math or science or history, as important as those are, he's teaching the word. So that Everybody would be growing up in Christ. And then what's another piece that you see in Ephesians 4? Right, that's a one another aspect of it, right. So, you know, he talks about God gave gifts, but it's um, so that we would become a mature man, no longer children, speaking truth to love, where to grow up. So it's, this is one another with the word, with encouragement and how you're doing um, in your walk with the Lord, and, you know, just helping each other grow and not <coughs> let people be stuck and not grow So, any other comments or questions on spiritual growth before we move on to the rest of Hebrews 6? All right, well, let's read verses 4 through 6 of Hebrews 6. I'm not asking for an answer yet. I'm just asking the question everybody has to ask about those verses. Who is this talking about? Is he describing believers or people who are not believers? And so we want to, that really makes a difference <laughs> how we understand this verse is who are we talking about? And so let's look at the terms he uses to describe them. So, what's the first phrase or term he uses? Enlightened. Enlightened. So what does it mean to be enlightened? <clears throat> Gain understanding. That's a great description. Gain understanding to hear and understand some level of truth. Somebody fills me in on something, oh, I'm enlightened now. I understand a little more than I did before. Okay? So enlightened can go... A couple different ways. So in Hebrews ten,
2: thirty-two,
0: ten thirty-two, and whoops, another one. Yeah, thirty-two. We're going to read Hebrews ten
1: thirty-two. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings.
0: Okay. So enlightened or illuminated sounds like. After you came to Christ, right? But go to John chapter one. John chapter one, would somebody read nine and ten.
3: Oh, sorry, go ahead. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him so in western american
0: standard there was the true light talking about jesus coming into the world enlightens every man so there's that word enlightens but the very next verse tells us the world didn't know him so it wasn't an enlightening that led to knowing jesus So enlightened can be either one, right? Could be a real thing. Could be knowledge and understanding. Oh, Jesus came to the world, but I don't know him in a relationship. Okay, let's look at tasted, which is twice. What does tasted mean? Experienced. Okay. Become acquainted with something through experiences. So at least acquainted, I've tasted something, so it could, that also has a different range of meaning, doesn't it? So Hebrews Hebrews 2.9, we saw Jesus tasted death for everyone and just have a little nibble it was the full experience of death but, look at Matthew 27 Matthew 27 verse 34 So that's a little different, isn't it? Very temporary, not a full experience of the wine. It was just a little taste, and then spits it out. So taste doesn't nail down who we're talking about either. Now let's look at partakers is what my version has. Uh, what are the other versions have? Share. Share. OK, same, same idea, right? So we saw that in 3:14, didn't we? We have become <laughs> partakers in Christ or share in Christ if we hold fast our confession. so that sounds like a relationship and yet look at Luke 5. Luke 5 verse 6 and 7..
2: caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so (coughs) full that they began to sink.
0: Okay, so what word do you think I'm looking at there? Partners. Same word that gives us fellowship. Same word that gives us partaker. Something shared. In this case, they're business associates. They share in the fishing business. How close is that relationship? How close are you with your business associates? Maybe close to some, but can be pretty not so close on the other people you work with. So what I am proposing is the terms themselves, enlightened, tasted, partakers, are inconclusive. It's not a slam dunk either way to say, yes, these people must be born again believers or they can't possibly be born again believers. There's just not enough to go on by the terms themselves. And I just want to show you that with even the word believe, even if you had used the word believe, it won't be decisive because even believe is not always saving faith. So let's look at some verses, just to verify that. John 2. John chapter 2. Would somebody please read 23 through 25?
2: Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, and they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man,
0: for he himself knew what was in man. Okay, so there's believe, believe in his name. That sounds, you talk that way about a person coming to faith, right? And Jesus, it says, but Jesus, which means he's not persuaded and doesn't even need to be persuaded because he knows their hearts. And it's not genuine belief so also in John verse uh, chapter 8 verse 31 and then fast forward to 59 so 831
2: so Jesus said to the Jews
0: who had believed in him if you abide in my word you're truly my disciples okay. and then there's a long discussion with that same group ending in 59 so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Okay, so do genuine believers want to kill Jesus? It's pretty obvious. But they believed. He believed. So the word itself doesn't mean saving faith. A couple more. Um, Acts 8. It'll actually be in the morning message, but we'll give you a sneak preview. Acts 8. Would somebody read 12 and 13.
1: <clears throat> when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Even Simon himself believed and after being baptized he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed.
0: Okay, Simon a believer. Says he believed, he's even baptized. Okay, let's read 20 and 21. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you
1: because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither
0: part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Hmm. Okay, what does it mean to perish? To die.
1: <laughs> eternally? Like, yeah, yeah,
0: eternally die. You so, <clears throat> you're, you can take your money and perish forever in hell with your money your heart's not right and you're at risk <laughs> So, but he believed he was baptized see how quick we can be to jump to conclusions even with certain words believe, baptize, boom no, not necessarily um, two more, 1 Corinthians 15 1 and 2 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 and 2
2: brethren I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached
0: unto you unless ye have believed in vain so Paul says there's a belief in the gospel that is in vain and what's the evidence that it's in vain or not in vain hold fast what is that what book in the bible that we're studying in Sunday school does that sound like <laughs> Hebrews if you hold fast that's the point of Hebrews hold fast to the gospel that shows you have a genuine faith if you don't hold fast it shows you don't have real faith same thing Paul just said in 1 Corinthians 15 and one more James two nineteen. maybe you know this one by heart you believe God is one you do well the demons also believe and tremble. And nobody in their right mind says demons are right with God. But they believe in God more than most people because they tremble, and a lot of people that say they believe in God don't tremble. So, all that to say, even if the author of Hebrews had used word, a word like believe, that wouldn't have settled the issue if he's talking about believer, real believers that are born again by a miraculous power of God changing their heart, or something less than a true believer. Okay, So we need more information to determine who are these people that are being talked about in verses 4 through 6. And the good news is, the author gives us more information. So let's go back to Hebrews 6, and somebody please emphasize the first word of verse 7. Four. Four. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Maybe we'll just stop with that. What does the word four tell us? Because. Because. So I'm about to explain the reason why I just said what I said in four through six. Right? So the author, (coughs) again, Bible study is... Uh, starts with observation. What does the author say? How can I follow what he's, where he's going? And he gives us <coughs> clues like the word for to help us understand. So we don't have to try to figure it out on just the terms because we can't. But he says, I'll give you some more information. I wasn't, those words were, could go either way. Let me explain what I mean and that will give you the clue you need to know who these people are. And then he's going to give us another one after this, too. So let's read 7 through 8, now that we know how it's connected to 3 through 6. 4 through 6. 7 and 8. Yes, please.
3: For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing
2: from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near
0: to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Okay. So, what (coughs) parable does this illustration remind you of? The sower. The sower, okay. And in that story of Jesus, there's four kinds of soil, right? The seed is the same. The seed is the Word of God, and it's landing on four different kinds of soil. And the author is saying... Let me talk about two kinds of soil and how they show what they really are. So, um, so how can you tell the difference between the two kinds of soil in Hebrews 6? By what it yields. What it yields, okay. So one yields what? A useful crop. Useful crop, useful vegetation. What's the other one yield? Thorns and thistles. Okay, so he needed some Roundup out there or something because that's not going to do a farmer any good. Thorns and thistles, he's looking for a useful crop. Okay, so here's a basic idea, and then I'll quote from Wayne Grudem. Before the plants spring up, the ground looks the same. And both kinds of ground get. Plentiful rain. It's not like one's in a desert and one's in the Amazon rainforest and now, oh, this one yields this lush crop. This one's got cactus. It's same land, or kinds of land, rain on both. And I would say the rain would be the blessings and experiences of verses 4 through 6 to be exposed to truth exposed to, acquainted with some of these spiritual realities, but not necessarily the real thing. But, the fruit that comes out shows what the ground really was all along. So here's Wayne Grudem. Was the land that received much rain good land or bad when it began to receive the rain. Before it bore a crop, its status was uncertain because no vegetation had appeared. But once the thorns appeared, they revealed the true nature of the land. It had been bad land all along. In exactly the same way were the people in verses four through six truly saved when they were enlightened and tasted and partook of the Holy Spirit. At that point, their status was uncertain because these experiences were all things they had received, but these experiences did not yet give any indication of their response, the the kind of fruit they would bear, whether good or bad. But once they fell away and held Christ up to contempt, this bad fruit, in a similar way, revealed what their true status was all along. They had never truly been saved in the first place. I find that very compelling. Mm -hmm. And so, I talked to various people, they get all nervous about Hebrews 6. Oh, it sounds so scary. And there's others that say, yeah, once you you lose your save, I mean, a true Christian can lose their salvation, but they often say, and you can get it back. And it says, no, you can't, it's impossible. So we need to look at the text carefully and what does the author say and not say and come to the conclusions he wants us to get at. And he's going to give us another clue that I think, if you have any doubts, we'll solidify that. But any questions on the illustration he uses of the land and the rain and the fruit, or lack thereof? Can I say,
1: I just did this yesterday on Friday. Like, when after it rained, I would go out and pull out the weeds, and when we moved into our house, it was all full of thistles. So for two years, I've been... Digging them out, we can't use Roundup because of my son's allergies. But we're digging them out, and then we literally put them in our burn pile, and they just get burned.
0: So okay, so there's burned. So After <laughs> we dig them
1: all out, and that's true, and they're all the thorny thistles that just hurt yeah. our feet and drive us You're not going kind of to feed your family deer. with those, are you? Now we pull them out, and we pull them out by the root, and it's really annoying. But that's exactly exactly what this is. That's you know, exactly what that <laughs> is. So
0: thank you for a really recent illustration of yeah. year six. Any other comments or questions on? The terms and the illustration that helps us explain the terms.
2: Hi. Huh? You brought up the, the parable of the sower and, mm-hmm. and the different responses that we see there. Okay. Uh, it It also...
0: Otherwise, all of us will fall away before we <coughs> Right? Our hearts are not that committed. We'd like to think we're committed. We're not. If Jesus doesn't hold us, keep us, to the end, we'll perish. We'll fall away. So, so the, this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is a double-edged sword. One is God does preserve his own so that they do <coughs> persevere in the faith. And it's also those who don't persevere in the faith were not God's own. He doesn't lose anyone that He has purchased through the blood of Christ. He keeps His own. So let's look at one more um, clue the author gives us. And somebody, I'll emphasize the first word really loud for nine and ten.
3: Okay. We, then, we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. For God is not <coughs> unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Okay.
0: Some of us have the word but first mm-hmm. to make a contrast. So verses 1 through 3, we're using pronouns like us and we. Verse four through six were they and them, and now but you. So we shifted audiences, haven't we? From they, them, but you. So he's making a contrast, and what are the better things the author is convinced of? Things that belong to salvation. Okay. So what does that tell us about four through six? They, didn't belong. they don't belong to salvation. Right? I mean, isn't that a fair conclusion if he starts the sentence with but and says, this is accompanies things for you, accompanies salvation or belong to salvation, sets them apart. You have experienced genuine salvation. You're not like the people I just talked about, even though I use that kind of language. So what kind of fruit convinced the author of these better things that belong to salvation? Okay, so love, love for whom? The saints.
1: Serving.
0: Love for the saints and? And God. Okay, so he sees the fruit of love for God as shown by love for the saints, which sounds very much like 1 John 3, right? By this we know we have come to know him if we love the brothers, the brethren. Love for the saints, love for one another, is confirming evidence, a fruit of genuine salvation. They have it. He sees it, and he says it's not even just loving the saints, it's ultimately love shown to God when you love the saints and minister to them. And God will always reward it because he's just. So when you put all that together, it's like here's some people that have a quasi- Religious experience. They're in church. They've been exposed. They've been acquainted. They have some level of understanding. <laughs> but the fruit of their lives is thorns and thistles. They fall away. They crucify Christ, which is a pretty serious offense. He says, But we're convinced of better things for you. I see fruit of loving God and loving His people. And that accompanies salvation. So you're in good shape, readers. (laughs) If you don't fall away, you hold fast. Like I've already said in chapter 3 twice, you're good. In fact, he's going to give more assurance now to believers. So ironically, people think Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, threatens assurance. And it's actually a lot of assurance for genuine believers and warnings for those who are... Hanging on to something less than true faith. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's read 11 and 12, back in Hebrews 6.
1: And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises.
0: Okay, so what is the author's desire for all his readers? That we go to heaven. That we
1: inherit the promises.
0: Yes, and what else does he want?
3: He wants us to have full assurance and the hope.
0: Right, so not only that that's objective reality, you're right, but full assurance that that's our reality. Okay, because it's possible to be on your way to heaven and not have assurance, right? It's possible to have a false assurance and not be on your way to heaven. But it's also possible to be a believer and lack full assurance. So what will it take to gain full assurance, according to verse 11?
1: Diligence.
0: Diligence. Okay? Which is the opposite of being sluggish in verse 12. So there is that, and it's, does that remind you of another verse that puts diligence and assurance together? Okay. I'm to give you a bonus point of that one, but Second Peter, chapter 1, let somebody read verse 10.
2: Or the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling
0: and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Okay, so there's being diligent, <laughs> and here's make your calling election sure. Does that really happen to me or not? How can I be sure? Um, so very much like Hebrews six, I want you to have full assurance, and there's going to be some diligence involved in getting that. Or, 1 John 5.13,
3: the whole book is written, why? 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life.
0: No, yeah, they already believe. I want you to know. Okay? So John, remember that John tells us the purpose of the gospel is that you might believe, and believing have life in his name. And you're saying, okay, you believe. How do you know if you have the real thing? Not something less than saving faith? I wrote this letter. So you'll know. Do you love the brethren? Do you obey the commandments? Do you practice righteousness? Do you believe the right doctrine about Christ? Those are the tests. If you pass the test, you can know. If you don't pass the test, you better start over. So assurance is not just, a, well, just some Christians have that, and, but most can't. It's, it's desired for all other readers, it says. I want all of you to realize the full assurance. It's, it's attainable, takes diligence, but it is a reality you can experience to have assurance. Okay. What, how does the world use the word hope? Like wish. Basically wish, okay?
2: <clears throat>
0: it may or may not happen. I hope this weather stays this way for another month. I wish it would. (laughs) Very unlikely to happen in real life. Or I hope my favorite team makes it to the playoffs. Well, this year that's very unlikely. (laughs) How does the New Testament use the word hope? It's aligned with assurance, isn't it? Yeah. Like with
2: Hope, we have assurance. Like the, uh, I think it's first Philippians, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work
0: in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. That's like assurance and hope. Yeah, confidence or assurance. Um, One definition I've used many times is confident expectation of future good because God has promised it. So there's nothing uncertain about it. It will happen because <laughs> God cannot lie. So if God promised it, it must happen. So it's a, it's a future certainty. It's not a future maybe. I'm not just wishing on a star or crossing my fingers. Or God himself is the source of my hope. That he promised something and therefore it will happen. Okay, let's read 13 through 18 back in Hebrews 6. Romans 15, 13. may God will put joy and peace as you trust in him. Yeah, good. He's called the God of hope. And the the answer to that prayer is that you may abound in hope. So yes, joy and peace in believing now and abounding in hope is that, that prayer to the God of hope. Back in Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. Well, when God made a promise to
2: Abraham, By two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us.
0: Thank you. So, just yesterday, this verse came up in our conversation at home. Because we have a contractor coming to do siding, and we had asked him to do the, our storage shed too, and he said he would. But on the contract, it's not mentioned in the contract. So gave a, he said he would, but what do most of us like to have? I want it in writing, I want some kind of guarantee, I want some kind of assurance beyond just saying you're gonna do it, that it's really gonna happen, right? That's just how this world works, right? You know, kids say, cross my heart, hope to die, swear a stack of Bibles, on the mother's grave, all those things, to add, yeah, I'm really going to do it. And adults do things like contracts and covenants and um, legal documents and all these things to give more assurance than just a simple yes, I will. Right? And so that's kind of where the author is going. It should be enough that God says he will give us the promises. Right? But Okay, let's back up. So, let's just stop there. So how long did Abraham have to wait for God's promise to be fulfilled to him? 25 years. 25 years! That's a long wait! So he's going to build on that. What is God's desire for not just Abraham, but all the heirs of the promise? What does he want to show us?
1: The unchanging nature of what he says.
0: Right. Which we could get just from texts like my purpose will be established, Isaiah forty six, or No Plan of Mine Can Be Thwarted, Job forty two, two, or you know, there's text after text <coughs> God is sovereign, He always accomplishes everything He sets out to do, <laughs> and He wants to show us, beyond those texts, that He won't change His purpose to save us, to give us the inheritance. So how does he do that? Okay, so that's one of them, right? So, two unchangeable things, and the first one is an oath. So, what's the other unchangeable thing? It's
2: impossible for him
0: to lie. Right. So, the unchangeable thing is God is a promiser who cannot lie. It's impossible. And God is a guarantor who. Always follows through with what he guarantees. So those, it's a little tricky to see what the two are. So don't feel bad if you didn't see two things there. It kind of blurs into one, but it's really two. There's a promiser and a guarantor, and you hopefully the person that makes the promise guarantees it. And in this case, God Himself does. But what does He want us to experience as a result of those two unchangeable things? Hold fast to the hope.
1: Have strong encouragement.
0: Have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. So, isn't that just kind? God knows we're weak, we're frail, we're doubtful, we're quick to wonder is God really going to do what he says? And he, he wants to strongly encourage us, not even gently encourage us. I use that a lot in my emails. I'd like to gently encourage you or remind you. He's like, I want to strongly encourage you. I will do everything I promise to do for you as my people so that you'll take hold and hold fast to this hope. He doesn't want us to waver in our hope. He wants us to be solid in our hope. So, any questions or comments on that? <laughs> he won't have to do that. But he does. So, 19 and 20 is how the author wraps up. 19 and 20.
2: We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever the order
0: of Melchizedek okay, thank you. so how is hope like an anchor for our souls I think we sang it just a few weeks ago. Through every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the gale. Or here's Matthew Henry. We are in this world as a ship at sea, liable to be tossed up and down and in danger of being cast away. Our souls are the vessels The comforts, expectations, graces, and happiness of our souls are the precious cargo with which these vessels are loaded. Heaven is the harbor to which we sail. The temptations, persecutions, and afflictions that we encounter are the winds and waves that threaten our shipwreck of faith. But we have an anchor to keep us sure and steady, or we are in continual danger gospel, hope is our anchor in our stormy passage through this world. I wish I could write like that. <laughs> but isn't that beautiful? I mean, Paul used the image, of, in remember we saw in 1 Timothy 6? Two guys who made shipwreck of their faith. And here's the author using similar language. I've got an anchor to hold me so I don't Make shipwreck when there's a storm. Like the storm of persecution that the leaders of the first time around on Hebrews are going through. When we get to ten, chapter 10, they've already been through some persecution and it's, more is coming. That's a storm. How am I going to hold fast to my faith? I better have an anchor. And we do. I better have something unchangeable. I do. Got a God who cannot lie, who made a guarantee that can't be broken. So he's encouraging us, he's strengthening us, he's grounding us, giving us solid rock under our feet so no matter what comes, we hold on to our hope and hold on to our faith, which is his goal for the whole book. So, anyway, get excited, sorry, but um, it's good stuff. So let's close in prayer. And Moses, would you please lead us? (coughs)
3: Oh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the hope that is found in Christ, that he is an anchor for our souls, that when we wrestle through these passages of Scripture, of these warnings of falling away, we can find confidence and assurance of your keeping of us, Lord. Um, Lord God, as um, we often quote here of... um, Keep us, Lord, because we cannot keep ourselves, Lord God. That is very uh, prominent, at least in my mind this morning. Uh, Father, I thank you for this uh, truth. We all uh, delight in it and find encouragement for it. Encouragement for the hope that is found in your word. Lord God, would you stir our hearts for worship? Would you give uh, Pastor grace as he brings us the word? Father, I just pray all these things in your glorious name. Amen. Amen.